This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Welcome to AutoCorrect, helping you correct your auto problems. I'm Liz Gill, and I've got a special host just for today. Charlie Melton has been the automotive and diesel in the diesel field for over 29 years. He teaches at the Clinton Career Complex for the last 17 years and is a master ASE tech. Welcome, Charlie. Well, glad to be here today. Well, we're, we're, uh, what are your students doing without you today? Well, they're going to do something on battery starting and charging. That's exactly <laughs> what they're working on today. Well, that's great. Well, this, this really is just universal. You were saying you were helping somebody just last night. Yeah, I was helping a 68-year-old lady help her with her car that it would not start. And so we had to fix that. And she was a little antsy about what it could be because she was stopped at Kroger and she had to get her car home. Right. So right. it was uh, it was one of those things that uh, end up being a starter and a ignition switch. Well, that's oh, ignition switch. See, that's something I didn't even mm-hmm. even think of. And I guess what what bothers me as a car owner and a car driver, it could be nothing. It could be just a little loose thing, or you just need a jump. It could be nothing, or it could be five, $600 that you have to replace. What I try to tell my students is keep it simple, stupid. That right. is what we use, and we always go to the easiest thing first. Right. You know, and as a... Uh, us being mechanics, we always want to go to the hardest thing first, <laughs> and that really messes up a lot of people. Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about why your car won't start in between your vehicle repair question calls today. Once again, our number is one eight seven seven. 672-7464 and our email address auto at mpbonline.org Well, let's go ahead. We've got John who is, no, John's not quite ready. We're going to, so Charlie, let's start with this. I'm in my car, the radio works and you go to start the car and it sounds like it wants to turn over, but it just won't. Well, most likely that's going to be loose connections at the battery, or it could be a bad battery going uh, that's going bad. And most of the time when you see a battery, when a car just barely turns over, most of the time it happens in the wintertime. It right. doesn't really happen in the summertime because that's when batteries start going bad is in the summer, and you really notice them in the wintertime. Okay. All right. Yeah, I have been, my kids were Murrah kids, and I have gone to the Murrah parking lot, taken a battery out of the car, taken it to Walmart, gotten a new one, and, and, and put it back. So. Well, there's where a lot of people make mistakes, because what they do, they just think it's the battery, and they right. go buy a $150, $200 battery, put it in the car, it runs for two or three days, and the same problem comes back. Okay. And if you take your battery out, you can get them to check it, right? They, they can check it, but most people just go get another battery, <laughs> and that was the problem. Okay, so what if you're in your car, your car won't start, and you turn it, and it goes 
Click, 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 click. Once again, that is a battery. Right. Or it could be the solenoid itself on the starter. Okay. You know, so not making connection. And a lot of times is uh, corrosion is what causes a lot of our problems with our batteries and starting systems. Our car also had that bristle brush that you kind of twist on like a, like a, a, a jar cap uh, cleaner and, and to, to kind of get all that corrosive business off of the lead. So what you're trying to do there, you're trying to clean the corrosion off the battery terminal and the battery cable. A lot of people make mistakes and they say, well, we can pour Coke on the battery terminals to clean it. That is not the way to clean it. Okay. No Coke, folks. No Coke. All right. Let's go ahead and go to John in Magnolia. John, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. Go ahead. Yeah. Good morning. How you doing? We're great. Oh. We're glad you called in. Good morning. Yeah. I got a 97 Topaz Little Mercury, and uh, I drove it all day Saturday. And then Sunday morning, I got up to go to church. It wouldn't start. And it would turn over when it goes, when it gets almost a crank, it go putt, putt. Okay, so you say that the starter was turning the engine over, but it would not start. It wouldn't start. Okay, a lot of times you have these problems here as the engine will turn over. It could have been a fuel problem. Uh, that's uh, or an ignition problem with the spark plugs or spark plug wires. And to find out exactly what that would, would be, you might want to take and put a uh, pressure test on the fuel line to make sure that we have enough pressure from the fuel pump because that will cause it on a lot of vehicles today is that the fuel pump, once it gets warm, it will stop. You cut the vehicle off and the vehicle will not crank back up until it cools off again. Oh, okay. 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 They should still make the car like they made the old hoops way back on it with all that electronic stuff. Yeah, they have changed. You you got all electronic things now in these cars, and you almost have to be an engineer in order to fix a car today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't know what's right. I, I just wanted to check and see before I go and buy a fuel pump because I don't want to have to buy a fuel pump, and that ain't, that ain't the problem. Yeah, but that would be the easiest thing to check. It's just your fuel pump uh pressure or even the easiest thing is to check your uh, fuel pump uh, relay and make sure that it's making connection every time. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes. John, we're glad you called in. Let's go to Robert in Mobile. Robert, thanks for calling in to AutoCorrect. Go ahead. Thank you. I uh, have a question about price. Uh, we recently had a alternator put in a 1996 uh, Honda Accord, and, uh, and the alternator is on the upper left of the engine, and it's easy access. And uh, he uh, charged us $322 to put in the uh, alternator, and I'm wondering if that's not a little bit excessive. Was that including the part? Yes, it included the alternator, and, you know, it's really only two bolts to put the thing in and two wires to, or three wires to slip onto the pegs, and it seems like uh, that's a little exorbitant. We called an M&D auto parts store in Mobile, and they said a Bosch alternator would cost $119.95 retail. And it's always according if it's a rebuilt uh, alternator or if it's a new alternator. Did they put a Denso alternator on it? It's according really what type of alternator they put on it. And now, if you did you take it to a dealership or did you take it to a, just a general mechanic? General mechanic, and he said he only used AC Delco. I think is what he said it was. 
alternators. That's how he would use, so he wouldn't let us bring an alternator in. But the alternator part we priced was a Bosch brand new alternator at one hundred nineteen dollars. Right. It's just according to how much they charge an hour. You know, uh, with overhead and stuff like that, different shops charge different uh, prices. I uh, do alternators and all, and sometimes they I can buy alternators as much as 200 some odd dollars in order just for the price of the alternator. It's according where you get it and who you get it from. Yeah. Okie doke, Ben. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Robert. Um, you know, price, I guess that's always something you want to talk about with your mechanic, but I guess your first thing is, I need my car fixed and I need it now, but you need to find out what they charge per hour and where they get their parts? Well, really what they charge per hour is, can depend if it's a dealership or if it's a mom and pop shop. It just depends on where they can get the part and how much overhead they have. You know, I was thinking that in some shops they charge at least seventy-five to one hundred and fifty dollars an hour, according what the problem could be. Yeah, just to look at it. Just to look at it. That's right, and and that's why they look at it, and I don't. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good deal. Okay, let's let's go another scenario. What if you put your key in the car and you go to turn it and there's no sounds at all? Well, a lot of times people put the key in there and the lights don't come on or anything else. And once again, you got to go all the way back to the battery. Right. And that's usually your main problem is the connections of the battery. Mm -hmm. And uh, once again, as you keep it simple, stupid, you go in there, you fix the small problem, and then you move to the bigger problem. Because usually a starter, you're going to have, you're not going to, you'll have the lights come on in the dash, but they just won't turn. The engine just won't turn. Are there battery testers that a person could have at their house? You could buy a battery tester to test all the vehicle batteries that you want to use it on. Um, it's Once again, it's according to what you're looking for and how much knowledge you have to be able to test these batteries because a lot of them would ha- show 12 volts but really, the voltage is not what's creating everything. We need amperage to turn the starter. Well, at one point, we had five cars at my house, and I sort of felt like I was the mechanic. Or uh-huh. I had to. It, the more accoutrements we had to diagnose things, the, the safer I felt. Right. <laughs> All right. So give us a call this morning. Our number is one eight seven seven MPB ring. That's one. 877-672-7464. Our email address is auto at mpbonline.org. We're going to continue our discussion of why won't my car start when we come back from our break with guest Charlie Melton. Is your car under recall? We're going to have a list of ones that are when we come back. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio.
Hi, I'm Walt Grayson. You can now listen to the wild, weird, and wonderful stories of Mississippi with Mile Marker. Some of the big names that travel up and down the highways, obviously Elvis and Johnny Cash, and you have Jerry Lewis, Carl Perkins. Join me as we hit the roads of Mississippi on Mile Marker. Johnny Cash suggested that Carl write a song called Blue Suede Shoes that was all kind of created with Aaron Amory. You can listen by going to mpbonline.org slash radio or by using your favorite podcasting app. You already know MPB Think Radio is a direct result of donations from listeners like you. But instead of counting the size of your donation in dollars, how about axles? Trucks to motorcycles, cars, even 18-wheelers. Your donated vehicle of any size helps fund the programs here on Think Radio. For more information on how to donate your vehicle, visit mpbonline.org support. I'm Liz Gill, and today I'm excited to have Charlie Melton, a Clinton High School automotive instructor whose students have won seven AAA Ford competitions in the state of Mississippi and have gone on to national all seven times and have come in sixth out of 50 teams. Now, if you can't listen to our show all the way through live, find our podcast or listen to us on the MPB public media app. Now, here are our recalls for January. All right, the 100,000 2011 and 2014 Hyundai Sonatas and the 2013 14 Santa Fe Sports and also 2300. 2019 Lincoln Nautilus. You can find out if your vehicle has a past recall by going to the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration's website, nhtsa.gov slash recalls and inputting your VIN numbers. We're talking about why won't your car start in between your general vehicle repair questions. We hope you'll give us a call 1-877- MPB ring. That's 1-877-672-7464. Our email is auto at mpbonline.org. And now we have a call, Ron, from Brandon. Ron, thanks for calling in today. Good morning. Uh, I just turned the radio on, and I heard you talking about car batteries. Uh, I had to, I've got a 2015 Hyundai Sonata, and I had to put a battery in this car yesterday. And instead of having the old wet cell in it, they've got some kind of a new high-performance battery in it. That son of a gun was almost $200. Is this a new trend, or is this just something that's in the Hondas? Well, all batteries today, if you think about it, lighter the battery lower cost of the battery. Batteries are full of lead and acid, and so if you get a heavy battery that has more amperage, because batteries run off amperage, they all have 12 volts, but it's according how much amperage each battery has to start that car. And that is what you're paying for, is the more amperage of the battery, the cold cranking amps. Okay. Well, I'm almost 70 years old, so I've been around a long time with the old wet cell batteries. And this is just, it just caught me off guard. I never paid that much attention to the battery before, but 
uh, it just didn't want to crank right. So I said, well, at my age, I don't want to get stuck somewhere. So I just had to put another battery in it. But now that's it right. kind of caught me off guard. Yeah, they're pretty expensive. And uh, like I say, you can get one that is not as expensive for like two years or three years. But now batteries go up to five and seven year batteries. Three-year, completely replaceable ones. So yes. It, you know, it wasn't bottom of the line or anything like that. But, you know, it, it I just I just not heard anything about it. It was just something new. It is, they're changing with the different ways that the uh, cards and the electronics right now is because uh, instead of having our old um, voltage regulator like they used to, now the computer operates the uh generator or alternator to tell how much voltage is going in that battery only when it needs it. Yeah, well, that was the reason I went ahead and changed this one out is because I knew with with the new computers in it, if you don't have a, a decent charge in it, that, that the car is just going to quit. It's not like it was in the old days. You know, once you got it cranked up, it would run even if the alternator was not putting out like it was supposed to. Right. Um, but with the new computers, it's you got to have a good charger. It's just not going to run. You're exactly right. It'll go into uh, limp mode is what it's called and just to get you to the shop. Yeah. All right. Well, appreciate your show. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks, Ron. And I guess there are good, better, best on batteries? Uh, yes, just like on any part, good, better, or best. It's uh, according really the price and how they're made, what parts are remanufactured. You have remanufactured parts, you have new parts, and you have OEM. And OEM is original equipment manufacturer. A lot of the uh, parts companies, they build the batteries or build the parts up to specifications, but they're not always the same. All right. Well, if you want to call in and if you have a uh, why won't my car start question or if you have any automotive question, that's what we're here for today. Charlie Melton, uh, Clinton High School uh, automotive instructor from the the Career Complex is with us today. And we do have an uh, automotive question. My name is William, and I have a 1999 Dodge Caravan that until the engine warms up, wants to keep shutting off. This only happens when it's in drive. If I start it up and leave it in park, it's fine. I don't really think it's the thermostat. Do you have any idea of what could be the issue. Well, in a lot of cars today, you have a open loop system and you have a closed loop system. And the open loop system is that the computers in the cars today are just using certain sensors. And then when, as the engine warms up to operating temperature, now the vehicle will use all the sensors to be able to control the fuel system. And that means that the computer will tell the injectors exactly how much fuel to put in the vehicle as it reads the air going into the vehicle. And now your problem could be is that if you look at your duct work coming from your air, air filter, there could be a small hole in there where it's sucking more air and the computer cannot read. And so, therefore, it's only putting a certain amount of fuel in it that it read coming past the mass airflow sensor. So is there any what does that change whether he has it in park or he has it in drive? Uh, yes, because the vehicle needs more fuel as you're driving. All right. All right. Well, William, I hope you're listening. If not, I will email you back because we want to make sure when our listeners contact us, they get the information that they've uh, requested. One thing about the, the batteries, 
uh, I, I said, you know, we have five. I don't pay insurance on all five cars anymore. Yay. Oh, that's good. I have a daughter who has a real job. So, uh, but we do have a Saturn Ion and the battery is in the trunk um, somewhere. <laughs> but there's a place to connect the, the jumper cables uh, under the hood. Do other cars have peculiarities like that if you're going to go to jump it? Yeah, if you think about it, uh, a lot of your foreign cars will put the batteries in the trunk. Some of them, uh, even like the Corvette, will put batteries under the seat. <laughs> under the rear seat. So there are different places that uh, manufacturers put the battery just wherever they can find a space for them. And you will jump them off the same way as up front. They usually have a positive uh, terminal somewhere up front under the engine, and then you would connect it there. And as we always say, read your owner's manual. That's right. <laughs> that is right. Read your owner's manual. Um, are there different things to try if your car won't start if it's an automatic versus a manual? Because I know you can kind of pop it if it's, a, if it's a manual transmission. Well, if you think a lot now on new cars, if it's a automatic or a standard that you would have to either push the clutch in in order for it to start or you'd have to push on the brake in order for it to start so if you're looking at certain things to make the vehicle not start it could be your clutch switch or your brake switch not working as well so there's so many different things it even could be your uh automatic transmission that is not in gear that if you put it in it's not all the way in park I've had that. <laughs> I've had that. <laughs> All right. Let's go to Timothy in Memphis. Timothy, thanks for calling into AutoCorrect today. Go ahead. Hi. I have a 2012 Kia Soul. It's a manual transmission, which I'm not really used to. But recently, the engine seems to be louder, and it, I've started noticing it never goes over say 25,000 RPMs. Is that a problem? As it gets louder, is the vehicle not moving as much? Have you ever noticed uh, like the in, the transmission, you're not going as fast as the engine RPMs pick up? I'm, I seem to be, you know, there's no problem with my pickup or anything. So I just, uh, I first noticed the noise that the engine seemed to be louder. And then I started trying to figure it out, and I just started noticing, huh, does, has it never gone over 25,000? I never really looked at RPMs until recently. Usually the RPMs on uh, on a vehicle is anywhere from about eight to 1,200 at idle, and it could go up to eighteen to 2,500 driving down the highway. Okay, so if I'm in sixth gear going 70 miles an hour, it's not really supposed to go higher? Uh, no, as a matter of fact, it should go a little bit lower due to that you're uh, in overdrive, and uh, that means that the transmission is a little less than one to one, and it should be going about the transmission should be going about as fast as the engine is turning as well. Okay, yeah, just you know, I noticed that it, uh, you have up to seven thousand RPMs, and I was one, you know, like I say, I don't know anything about well, this. When they talk about the 7,000, you see 6,000, 7,000 up there. Well, that means mm-hmm. that that engine can run that fast, but it never gets that fast unless you're re- – it's called redlining. And that means that you got all the RPMs in that uh, engine will do, and that's a different story. <laughs> that's more for racing. Okay. Well, I'm not racing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. 
Timothy, we like manual transmission cars in our family. We like to think of them as anti-theft devices. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and that's why that's why I bought it. Uh, it was on a used car lot, and they couldn't get rid of it. They, they practically gave it to me. Yeah, a lot of people don't have manual transmissions. Yeah, we specifically looked for one when we we just got our Honda Civic, and uh, we liked saving a thousand dollars. And now my other daughter can't drive it. <laughs> Thanks, Timothy. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. Our topic today is, is it the battery, the starter, the alternator? And we're taking your car repair questions after the break with our guest, Charlie Melton, Master ASE Tech. Uh, What's an unreliable car not to buy? I'm glad you asked. Hang on, and we're going to get to that. You're listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. The information presented on this program is meant to provide general information about the topics discussed and is not necessarily the opinion of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. The information presented does not create any type of relationship between the hosts and guests and the listening audience. Please consult an appropriate professional for guidance about your concerns. Join us each week for Everyday Tech on MPB Think Radio. We have an IT expert, a computer repair ace, and we troubleshoot your problems on the phones as well. Everyday Tech, Wednesdays at 10 on MPB Think Radio. Download the podcast now or listen on YouTube on the MPB Think Radio channel. Get your MPB car tag anytime. It doesn't even have to be up for renewal. Simply go to your county office to sign up. When you get an MPB car tag, a portion of the fee helps MPB continue to educate, inform, and entertain Mississippians. For details, visit mpbonline.org slash cartag. We'll see you on the road. Thank you for listening to AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. I'm Liz Gill. We're excited to have as our guest Charlie Melton from the Clinton High School Career Complex and a a master ASC tech with 39 years experience. Consumer Reports has a list of 108 2007 to 16 models that have a record of much worse than average overall reliability based on their subscriber responses to their annual survey. Today, we're going to caution you about... The Ram 1500, model years 2014 and 15. Please consider reading up on the reliability of this car before purchasing it as used as a used car, suggests Consumer Reports. Complaints.com is another resource for unreliable, unreliable car lists. Those Rams, they just can't catch a break this week. <laughs> and if you're interested in reviews of new cars, Casey Williams is the automotive correspondent for W. FYI, a public radio station in Indianapolis, and he's reviewed cars and covered the auto industry for 25 years. He has a new review of the GMC Sierra. We'll have a link to this and other information that we talk about today on our website and our podcast. Let's go to Kay in Clarksdale. Kay, thanks for calling into AutoCorrect this morning. Go ahead. 
Hi, I have a battery question. Everybody always uses my car to jump off whatever is dead. Um, and I keep telling people like my son not to do that because it's going to hurt the battery in my car. Am I telling him a story or is it going to make my battery as unreliable as theirs? And then I have a second question. When we were at the dealer with my husband's truck, it was dead and the guy came out with a suitcase-like thing and started the battery right up without jumper cables. Is that something I should look at getting into? Yes, the first thing that you can talk about is that the jumping off somebody else's vehicle with your vehicle, that's not going to hurt your vehicle unless they uh, hook the battery cables up backwards. And then if they hook the battery cables up backwards, it will either blow up fuse or fry your computer in your car. So... Read your owner's manual. (laughs) You just got to make sure that somebody knows what they're doing when they uh, use your car to jump off a car that's dead. And what about uh, the suitcase, magic suitcase? Well, what that suitcase is, it is called a jump box, and it has a lot of amperage in it. And once again, a lot of people are using those. That's what we use at the school to jump off cars. But the main thing is that they can, they have a 24-volt and a 12-volt switch on it, and it's according which switch you have to be careful once again if you use a jump box as well. And you need to make sure that the positive and negative are connected correctly. So what does the car use, a 24 or 12? Uh, cars use 12 volts. Okay. So that's, okay. you just got to be a little... I live on a farm, so it would, it, it, we're always jumping something. Yeah, the jump box would be good for that uh, because you can carry it around and it holds a charge uh, quite a bit. And they go up to 1,000 amps or more, so that, a jump box would be really good for that. Okay, great. Well, I really, really appreciate that because I am a complete idiot when it comes to cars so thank you very much thank you so who uses a 24 uh just different there are some farm equipment that use 24 and most of the time it is 12 volts on most everything all right if you have a question about why won't your car start this is the place to call today we've got charlie melton is our guest from the clinton high school career complex Now we're going to Greg in Meridian. Greg, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. Uh, Thank you. Uh, I'm having a starting issue problem. Hello? Yeah. Tell us about your starting issue problem. It's it's turning over pretty pretty well, uh, but it just won't start. Okay, so... I, I would spray some uh, starting fluid in it. It'll it start and run. Okay, so it cranks if you put starting fluid in it. So most likely what I would look at is the fuel pump itself. Because if, okay. it is, if it'll start when you put some type of other uh, propellant in it, that usually it is the fuel pump. Okay, I got about 40, uh, 43... Uh, Fuel pressure on on, on the uh, in the tank on the rail, right? And, and this is uh, 
2201 Dodge. Right. As it comes up to the rail, you'll have fuel pressure. Then as it gets to the fuel pump, uh, fuel pressure rail sensor, it will either reduce the fuel pump pressure or it will increase the fuel pump pressure. So I would, if you got fuel pressure up there, I would go ahead and check the uh, fuel pump, uh, not the fuel pump, the fuel pump sensor on the rail. Okay. Well, uh, what I'm trying to see, would that be enough pressure? The store that uh, that's a 360 engine, uh, and uh, I I looked at it in some other material where you have to have at least 50 uh, uh, 55 pressure. Yeah, they check the fuel pressure either at just when the pump's cut on, when you turn the key on, where it primes it up, and then it right. will test it while it is running. And they have two different settings. Uh, different vehicles have different fuel pressure. Right. Okay. All right. And uh, and I I put the uh the uh o, OBD uh cold reader right one um, and it said no ASD relay output voltage at the PCM. Okay, just talking about that one of the sensors. Uh, it doesn't have any voltage at the PCM from it. Right. Okay. Uh, once again, on most of these sensors, you would have a five volts reference going to these sensors, and you would have right. to check that. And a lot of times, that could be a ground going back to the PCM as well. You know. So what I would do is look at that code a little bit further and see if you can trace what that code is telling you. Would that have anything to do with the pump, the fuel pump itself? I'm not sure. Would have to know that code. And they're, at that year model, that was a 97, you said? Uh, 2001. Oh, 201, yeah. So, really, you'd have to look at it and just see what it says, what it's all involved. Is that the only code that's in the vehicle? Right, right. Yeah, I would look at that code first and just see exactly what it means in order to uh, go from there. Okay, then. All right. Uh, thank you. Okay, thank you. All right. Greg, we're so glad that you called in. We're taking everyone's calls today, 1-877-MPB-RING. I'm Liz Gill here with Charlie Milton, uh, automotive technician for 39 years. And now we're going to go to Kevin in Jackson. Kevin, thanks for calling into AutoCorrect. Go ahead. Thank you, and good morning. Good morning. Uh, so I got a much lower tech question, pretty dumb question. Uh so, I've been a, my wife and I have been a one-car household for some time, but we're looking to buy a second car. And I'm going to get my wife the nice car that I have. I'm looking to find the easiest car to maintain over 100,000 miles. Like, really low-tech, manual transmission, nothing complicated, something that I can very happily take to my local shade tree mechanic and not have to worry about any complicated parts or anything complicated just something that will run and if it doesn't somebody can bang on it for a little while and then it'll run again what year are you looking for any year i mean going back <laughs> uh, you know any uh, that that's the honest truth just you know 
30 no. years, 40 years, uh, you know, I'm not worried about it. When you start talking about either it's a newer vehicle or an older vehicle, newer vehicles from, I would say, in the 90s on up is all electronics. Uh, you can't really just take it to somebody and they can bang on it. But if you get below 80s and all, they can bang on it and they will, they can fix it. If a fuel pump goes out, they can usually tap on the tank and it'll start running again. But if, if you was really looking for a car, and I'm not really telling people what cars to get, but I have a Toyota that has 322,000 miles on it, a little, oh, wow. a little Toyota Camry. But in turn, I have a F-150, a 98 model that has 228,000 miles on it. So once again, how they're maintained and how they're taken care of, that usually determines if the vehicle is going to be a good one, especially a used vehicle. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I, I currently drive a, a Toyota Camry, and to be honest, I bought the car for the, the warranty and the reliability because the car I had before was a Volkswagen GTI whose computer system tried the engine. And that was fun. Yeah, a lot of uh, people today, they go out and they try to find a car that they can uh, really use every day. And if you're going out to look at a used car, just make sure that you can see the maintenance records on it. And I think that's the main thing today is that it's very important to change the oil at the time that it's posted at the right interval. So that's one really important thing. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm keep an eye on those things. Uh, like I said, I uh, appreciate you guys. Uh, thank you for your show and uh, your input. Thank you. Oh, Kevin, we're so glad that you called in. Let's go ahead and go to Bonnie in Flowood. Bonnie, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. Thank you for taking my call. My question is we're now getting ready to purchase a, a new truck, and I want to buy a used truck, maybe uh, at least one year older. And the question is, what do you recommend, say, for the South, for a good, reliable truck that's only going to be used for pleasure? Once again, as you talk about using, getting a truck or any type of car, it's according what type of truck and what you, you say you're going to be using it to drive down the highway or you're going to be using it just every now and then or what are you going to be doing with it? Well, the highway, round in the city, uh, no kind of work or anything. Maybe a little hauling if you have to pick up some strawberry or something like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, you travel with it, maybe good gas mileage, um, good warranty, good maintenance. Yeah, most of the vehicles today, if you think about trucks, if it's a Ford, Chevrolet, Toyota, whatever, maybe they have uh, extended warranties and they have most warranties on new vehicles are now are about 3,000, I mean, three years, 36,000 miles. And if it's, if you want a uh, luxurious uh, truck, it's just according to how much you want to pay for it and how much you want to put in it. Because all the different things that you put into a vehicle, you know, as well as I do, that they cost a little bit more money if you want leather, if you didn't want leather, if you wanted uh, heated seats, you know, stuff like that. Bonnie, I'm going to chime in. We did buy a used car in December, and what worked for us we used the free website CarGuru, CarGuru.com, and uh, my husband did, so I'm not quite sure what he put in, but it notified us when there was what they considered a good deal. And when we went to go look at different cars, we did get a Carfax from the dealership. We, I think we, we just looked at dealerships, not individuals who were selling their own cars. And... The Carfax 
listed the previous owners and their mileages. And we I did just speak with someone from Carfax a couple of weeks ago. We're going to have that audio on the show later. Some uh, dealerships can report to Carfax when they've had vehicle maintenance. And that will help you verify that a used car has had maintenance and it's um, been taken care of. And accidents as well. Carfax will tell you if the vehicle has been in an accident as well. Well, thank you so much. That additional information is very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. You're welcome, Bonnie. All right. We're going to continue discussing sounds the car makes or doesn't make when it starts when we come back from the break. We're also taking your repair questions with our guest, Charlie Melton, Master ASC Tech. You can send us an email. Our address is auto at mpbonline.org. What's new in the news? I'll let you know in one minute. This is AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit, you get information about foods you should eat to stay in good health and tips on how to stay active. I'm Dr. Josie Bidwell, host of Southern Remedy Healthy and Fit and Associate Professor of Preventive Medicine at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Listen to the show every Monday at 11 or subscribe to the podcast by searching for Southern Remedy with your preferred podcasting app. This podcast is a local production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting and depends on the support of listeners like you. If you can, please donate today at mpbonline.org. And thanks. Welcome back to AutoCorrect. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show at mpbonline.org slash auto. I'm Liz Gill with Charlie Milton from the Clinton High School Career Complex, who started his automotive career in the Army. And here is what is in the news this week. Cybersecurity company Synopsys and an automotive industry company, SAE International, surveyed 15,900 IT security practitioners and engineers in the automotive industry. Now, ready for this? Said 88% of respondents worry that automakers aren't keeping pace with the industry's rapidly changing security threats. Unauthorized remote access to the vehicle network and the potential for attackers to pivot to safety critical systems puts at risk not just drivers' personal information, but their physical safety as well, the study found. That's scary to think about, Charlie. <laughs> you know, I will tell you that um, there was a company out there, and they're still in uh, business, that their computers were hacked, and with this electric steering it was pulling the cars off the road 
because somebody hacked their computers. Well, I I, I, I try to leave a, live a clean life. <laughs> I don't know that anybody would want to hack and purposely drive me off the road. But, you know, when what was it our, our caller, uh, Kevin, who wanted a car without the computers? Yes. That's not happening. It's <laughs> not happening today. All right. We're going to finish out this hour. We've got uh, Homer from Clarksdale. Homer, thanks for calling in today. Go ahead. Hey, how you doing? We're great. Um, I love this show. The the I I, I have a six point two GMC Santa uh, Denali. Uh, it's got a couple hundred thousand miles on it. Uh, when I started up, it's been serviced regularly. Uh, a couple of times, uh, my wife had the oil change in the truck and. The guy overfilled it. Um, the engine now, when I crank it up, before it gets warm, the oil pressure is fine. Once it heats up, the oil pressure just drops back. Um, are you familiar with? Uh, pretty familiar with us. I've, I've looked at on looked at it online. People say it might be a sensor. I've talked to people, they say you got internal stuff going on with the camshaft. I've had the oil pump replaced. 800 bucks. No good. Doing the same thing it did. Well, and on the guy uh, who, who wants a Toyota, I mean, who wants a, a good vehicle with, with all the, if, if he if he likes trucks, <laughs> I've owned about four or five of those Nissan trucks, four cylinders, ran them over 300,000 miles, that one that 370 runs perfect. Uh, low computer because they just got one computer on. If you get the early 90 models, uh, great, great vehicles. I'm not trying to push Nissan. That's just been my experience with and that's good about uh, different vehicles like that. It's uh, Corden, who has them and what the experience is with them. But let's talk about your oil pressure problem. Your oil pressure problem, you know, as you just said, that uh, he has overfilled your uh, oil several times after it's been uh, changed. First of all, overfilling a engine with oil makes it aerate. And when it aerates, that means that it's not lubricating because there's air flowing all through the system. So that's one thing that could cause wear and tear on that engine, you know, because of the aeration. But what I would do if it was me, the first thing I would do, if I thought it was a sensor, I would take the oil sending unit out, put a pressure gauge in there, an oil pressure gauge, and see what type of pressure I have as the vehicle is running after it got warm. Because that's really the only way that you can tell if that sensor is bad or if the vehicle itself has oil pressure. You know, as it gets warm, because what it do, that oil start getting thin and it Uh will it will lose some oil pressure, but not as much as uh, people think sometimes, because if you even think about a vehicle, it can go down to two or three pounds of oil pressure before that oil pressure light even comes on. And you can already cause damage by that, because like you say, you uh, it could be up to 40 or 50 pounds when it's cold. Okay. So what I'd do, the first thing is do the oil pressure test where the sending unit is. Okay. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Have a good one. All right, Homer, we're glad. All right, and uh, Kevin, you get to be our last call. Uh, Go ahead, please, and thanks for calling to AutoCorrect. 
Hey, how are you guys doing? Uh, so I heard you guys had a ASE certified mechanic uh, as your guest today. That's and cool. I've got a friend who is uh, going into that field. Um, great guy, knows a bunch about cars. But his one question would is, uh, what brand of tools would you recommend for a uh, say somebody who's just cutting their teeth with uh, at, at like a dealership or something? Uh, he's kind of weary about you know the snap-on guy trying to sell him you know five hundred dollar socket set. So just trying to figure out uh, what's your opinion on that. Well, this is how I tell all of my students because some students want good tools that will last much longer than the average tools. If he's going to go into the business, if he's going to do it for a living, then he may want to get a good set of tools. And they don't have to be snap-on. They could be uh, craftsmen, but mainly I use, uh, in my toolbox itself, I use Cornwell tools. You know, So it's according, if he's going to go into the business and how much money he wants to spend for the good tools. Because, like I say, you can get cheap tools and they will break. They'll strip the uh, nuts and bolts out, or they'll make you hurt yourself and throw the wrench across the room. <laughs> you know, you've seen that before. But it's just according to how much money he wants to spend and if he's going to use them. Because, like, you know, that's me. I would not buy a tool that um, would tear up on me. No matter what it was, if you know, I had paid as much as twenty or thirty dollars for a wrench, but has paid as little as five and six dollars according to what I needed at the time. All right, Kevin, we're glad that you called in. I hope that helps your friend. Uh, you know, this is this this has come by fast, Charlie. It has. <laughs> this is going to wrap us up for AutoCorrect. Um, I am so grateful that you were able to come in today and and sit with me while we talk to the state of Mississippi and Alabama, Louisiana, Arkansas, and Tennessee. Well, thank you so much for inviting me. And like I say, if there's anything I can do again, and like I say, just some of the questions that we had are simple. Some of them were harder. Just got to understand the automobile today. All right. So this has been uh, Charlie Melton from the Clinton High School Career Complex Master ASE Tech. Uh, We're so glad that you joined us. Um, Our call screener today has been Jay White. Our board engineer is Michelle McAdoo. I'm Liz Gill. We hope you'll join us again next Thursday at 10 a.m. for AutoCorrect on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast.